Welcome to Ortho Science Bites. Today, I am joined by Professor Robert Flower. Professor Flower is a national leader in research and development at the Australian Red Cross Lifeblood. He has been teaching and supervising hospital and university blood banks for over 30 years. He has published over 400 publications with over 4,000 citations and has helped over 50 students complete postgraduate research. In 2018, Dr. Flower was granted the Vice Chancellor's Award for Excellence at Queensland University of Technology. The following year, he was awarded the Peter Schiff Award from the Australia and New Zealand Society for Blood Transfusion. Dr. Flower's current interests include translating genetics to routine investigations, molecular modeling, the structures defining blood groups, and evidence-based modeling of the risk of transfusion transmission for various agents. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor Flower. So, yeah, it's a pleasure to be asked and uh, to be with you for this recording. Thank you for joining us. And we'll open up this uh, conversation with the following question. Can you please describe to our listeners what is hemolytic disease of the fetus and newborn? Hemolytic disease of the fetus and newborn is one of those consequences of a mother's immune response to the baby. In all pregnancies, there's an exposure of the mother to cells from the fetal circulation. Um, this can result in the production of antibodies to red cells, as well as antibodies to platelet and antigens, neutrophil antigens and histocompatibility antigens. There's a basic pathophysiology of HDFN, where the mother is producing antibodies to the fetal red cell antigens inherited from the father. And these all have these different antibodies that are produced all have the potential to compromise the pregnancy. For some antibodies, mature red cells are destroyed in the circulation with the accumulation of bilirubin as well as anemia. So anti-D antibodies are an example in this category. While other antibodies, uh, for other antibodies, precursor red blood cells are destroyed in the bone marrow, uh, resulting in a severe hyporegenerative anemia. Anti-M and anti-KEL antibodies are typically in this category. So in that case, the baby is born with a severe anemia without necessarily having a, a, an elevated bilirubin. Other factors also inform the risk of antibody production. For example, when the mother and fetus are not ABO compatible, any D-positive cells getting into the mother circulation are destroyed by the ABO antibodies and the risk of production of anti-D is reduced. However, in these pregnancies, there's the risk of ABO hemolytic disease of the newborn. So basically, the problem arises from the mother's immune response to cells from the fetal circulation and in almost all pregnancies, particularly at delivery and separation of the placenta, there is some bleeding from the fetal circulation into the maternal circulation. Following that question, what are the key ways that we might be able to minimize the risk of developing um, alloimmunization in the obstetrical population? Well, in Australia, we have a set of 
guidelines produced by the National Blood Authority that are freely available on the NBA website. And these are actually produced by medical experts reviewing the literature with practice points and advice about clinical management in these situations. And they're regularly updated, so they're absolutely excellent guidelines. The first thing in this case is to do everything you can to provide optimal support to maintain the mother's red cell mass during pregnancy to minimise the risk of the need for transfusion. A standard transfusion practice in all jurisdictions is that D-negative women of childbearing potential have D-negative blood cross-matched. And in some jurisdictions, it's also Kel-negative blood if that can be managed within the inventory. But it's always best to minimise the risk of transfusion that for the range of blood group antigens that are important in haemolytic disease of the newborn, the RH set of antigens, Kel, Duffy, Kid, that there's minimising the risk of producing antibodies to those antigens when possible. A little bit more about antenatal testing. What are the key tests that a laboratory performs in a pregnant woman during her pregnancy? Okay, well, once again, in Australia, the first antenatal visit at 16 weeks, there's ABO and RHD typing and screening for irregular antibodies. The screening for irregular antibodies is using a two or three cell panel where the antigens represented on those panels are listed by the local uh, regulatory authority. And if no irregular antibody is detected at 16 weeks, then there's screening again at 34 weeks. If an antibody is detected, it's followed up with TETA. And in Australia, if there's a D or a little c antibody from the RH system, that these uh, that there's a test called a quantification or quant test. This is um, a commercially available machinery that enables a comparison between the specimen from the mother and the an international standard that provides a better guide in some cases than uh, looking at teeters and looking for a fourfold increase in teeter. But um, the basic tests, ABO and RHD typing, looking for irregular antibodies and then following up with uh, a further investigation such as teetering when an antibody is detected if it's one that's regarded as clinically significant. Okay. Related to uh, a a little bit earlier, you mentioned transfusion and focus on certain blood group antigens. Are there additional blood group antigens that you consider and need to be evaluated in obstetric patients beyond ABO and RH typing? And what is the importance of this extended testing? Well, the distribution of blood groups varies in different ethnic groups. So, for example, in Indigenous Americans and in people from North Asia, the Diego A antigen is important. In people from East Asia, hybrid glycophorins are present in 10% of the population. And in that population, antibodies to those hybrid glycophorins are as important as Kel is in Caucasians. And so, It's always important to, when you're testing, 
look at the ethnicity of the mother and uh, and the father and look for and be aware of the other blood groups that may be important in that context of being aware that not just the ABORH system and Duffy and Kid antigens that are important in Caucasians, but there are other blood group systems that are important in different ethnic groups. Dr. Flower, uh, besides the the antigens that you mentioned, uh, Duffy and, and FYA and FYB and JKA and D, what uh, about other RH system antigens in uh, populations uh, that uh, could be a, a challenge uh, from a obstetrical perspective? Yes, the big C, little c, and big E and little e and antibodies to those can also be significant in antenatal testing and should be treated, particularly in populations that are mainly big C positive. Little c antibodies can be very important because they're cl- very clinically significant in the context of hemolytic disease of the newborn. And also big E antibodies, while not as um, destructive as little c antibodies, uh, can also be significant and should be treated and monitored. Okay, so now that we've covered um, a little bit about extended testing, can we talk a little bit more about what your recommendations in a post-delivery situation for testing and special considerations for the physicians and laboratorians from a laboratory testing perspective? Well, I guess the first thing is that for any hospital where it's there's an obstetrics department, the blood bank should maintain stocks that are sufficient to manage a postpartum hemorrhage and have access to their blood provider for rapid access to a builder to restock when that happens because uh, those can be catastrophic situations. For women where an antibody has been detected to an unusual blood group antigen or a, a blood group where there may be difficulty in providing the blood, that there may be need for special arrangements. For example, for somebody with a Bombay antibody, you may need um, Bombay negative blood on hand in case of a need for transfusion after the delivery. So it's about being aware of all of those issues uh, in providing in in provision of ad- adequate provision of blood for transfusion. Okay, what about the baby at that point? What testing is necessary on the child at that point? Well, for the baby, the baby is ABO and RHD type. If the baby is RHD positive and the mother is RHD negative, then there's the uh, the need to do a quantify any fetal maternal bleed and administer the appropriate amount of anti-D antibody. Uh, once again, the, the size of the vials varies in different jurisdictions, but to make sure that there's an appropriate dose of anti-D administered and there are special requirements for um, blood for exchange transfusion, that it has to be relatively uh, less than in Australia, less than five days old and CMV negative 
and the exchange transfusion is a very heroic and difficult procedure but if it's required then the, once again the blood bank should have access to the provider to get those uh, special units for exchange transfusion okay to close out our conversation i'd like to ask about recommendations for those laboratories who are managing the testing for somebody who is alloimmunized and at high risk for HDFN. Uh, you earlier mentioned titration and also a quantitative method to allow quantitation of that antibody concentration, uh, which I believe is the continuous flow analysis uh, method, which is yes, that's correct. commonly used in, I believe, in the UK and in Australia, but is not as commonly used in other countries. My next question would be related to using titration as a substitute for that and whether or not potentially automating that titration and scoring may provide a substitute for the CFA test, which is not widely employed. Yes, uh, titration has been the standard practice for many years that it used to be done in tubes with albumin as a, an enhancer, but there are now routine techniques using cassettes to do the titration and the reciprocal of the T to where there's a one plus reaction is usually regarded as the endpoint and then comparing the teeter on samples from the mother throughout the pregnancy. If there's a fourfold increase in teeter, that's regarded as clinically significant and once again would inform the management of the pregnancy by the clinicians. There are so many more tools now available in terms of ultrasounds and so on to actually assess the extent to which the pregnancy is compromised by these antibodies. And so the teeters are one of the inputs into the decision-making system that uh, clinicians would be using. Okay, great. I really want to uh, just thank you for taking the time with us today and giving us your experiences and insights on maternal health care testing and what best practices laboratories and physicians can follow. Professor Flower, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. And again, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure to chat. Okay, I hope you all enjoyed this podcast episode about the laboratory investigations to assist in management of maternal health testing. Make sure to review the sections within the podcast description for any reading materials that we've suggested. Based on today's podcast, I'll leave you with our pop quiz. Beyond ABO and RH testing, what are the other key blood group antigens important for testing in obstetric patients? You can always go back and listen again. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Ortho Science Bites, our monthly podcast where there will be discussions on more complex questions we face every day in our labs. Brought to you by Orthoclinical Diagnostics, pioneering advances in diagnostics for 80 years because every test is a light. Take care, stay healthy and safe.